Yes, this week, two lawsuits got underway in the US Supreme Court that have the potential to completely upend the way we use the internet. The two cases hinge on 26 words of US telecommunications law called Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act, and that shields companies from liability for material posted on their platforms, while also giving them the ability to take down content if they choose. The laws created a lot of good things, allowing us to express ourselves online and to leave reviews and complain about things. But the lack of liability has also allowed hate speech, misinformation and abuse to circulate online. That's the strong argument. And crucially, as we'll hear, some of this content also ends up being recommended to users by algorithms. By their own admission, the Supreme Court judges aren't experts in this field. I mean, we're a court. We really don't know about these things. You know, these are not like the nine greatest experts on the internet. (laughs) That was Eleanor Kagan, an Associate Justice. So for an explainer on all of this, let's hear now from Jeff Kossoff. He's an Associate Professor of Cybersecurity Law in the United States Naval Academy's Cyber Science Department. He's the author of the 26 words that created the internet and widely considered one of the preeminent Section 230 experts out there. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Do you say 230 or 230, just so I get the lingo right? 230, typically. Good. Excellent. Now, some background, if you would, please. What does this, these crucial 26 words, what do they do to shield social media companies or any website owners that host user-generated content? So what they basically boil down to is that the responsibility, the legal responsibility for content is on the person or company who posted or created it and not on the platform where it was posted. So if you were to go onto Facebook and defame me, I would be able to sue you, but I would not be able to sue Facebook because of Section 230. And why was this law first introduced in 1996, a time when the internet was a very different beast? Yeah, well, there were um, some early services, uh, Prodigy, CompuServe, America Online, that had bulletin boards and chat rooms. And there, there started to be some defamatory content that led to some lawsuits. And the, the common law rule under the First Amendment, essentially what the courts were saying is that If you did not do any moderation at all, if you just basically took a completely hands-off approach as an online platform, you could actually get a good amount of protection under the common law. But if you started to engage in moderation, so if you took some things down because you thought it violated your user standards, then you would be responsible for everything that you left up. So what this did is it created a big disincentive to moderation for platforms. It basically said, if you make your platform like the Wild West, you'll actually get much more protection in court. So what Section 230 aimed to do was to say, you know, we want to leave it up to the platforms to set their own policies and procedures, and they won't face liability. So it took away that disincentive. Um, That was the main reason. The other reason was because Congress recognized that they wanted to give these new websites and online services the breathing room 
to be able to grow and develop into businesses that are centered around user content, which, in fact, they have. It's so interesting to hear this sort of effort at regulation, which has <laughs> had some unintended consequences. That's, I suppose, your argument or the argument that's being made. Now, the Supreme Court heard two cases this week, Gonzalez versus Google and Twitter versus Tumney. Could you explain who the plaintiffs are and what they claim? Sure. So the plaintiffs in both cases are the family members of victims of ISIS attacks. And what they claim, uh, I'll start starting with the Gonzalez case, uh, it's a lawsuit against Google, but it's really based on YouTube, which Google owns. And what the argument is, is that because because YouTube not only presents ISIS videos, but that it algorithmically targets ISIS videos at people who might have a predisposition to want to see that content, that Section 230 shouldn't apply because it's not there. What, what the plaintiffs are trying to do is not hold YouTube and Google liable just for the videos, but for the act of targeting the videos at uh, at individuals. And uh, the lower court had dismissed the case under Section 230. And what the plaintiffs in that case are trying to do is to say this is not a Section 230 case because we're not because we're actually looking at the act of the platform. And the second case against Twitter actually is not a Section 230 case because the court didn't get to that issue. That's basically looking at whether there actually is a claim against Twitter for its ISIS content under the Anti-Terrorism Act, which is a statute that allows the victims of terrorism to bring a lawsuit against those who have provided substantial assistance to terrorist groups. So the algorithm's on trial a bit, isn't it? It is, yes. And the the justices uh, during oral arguments in the Google case, they really were struggling because they recognized that the internet runs on algorithms. You can't have today's internet without algorithms, but they wanted to figure out if there's some sort of way to have a neutral algorithm. And I, I think they were really running into a lot of roadblocks there because algorithms by their very nature are not neutral. They will indicate a preference over some content over others. And the issue is how much breathing space do we want to give the platforms? Oh, how very interesting. Um, and just for clarification, this has been elevated so the Supreme Court has had to accept this. I presume that works like our High Court does here. So, you know, they, they deem this to be of sufficient weight to accept this very important case. Absolutely. The Supreme Court receives uh, about 7,000 requests every year to hear, to hear lower court cases, and it only grants about 60 or 70 of them. Mm. So uh, this is the first time the court has ever taken a Section 230 case. So it had to have deemed it quite important to put it on the docket. Now, this seems to be one of those rare moments of unity uh, in US politics, I understand, where both sides want reform, but for different reasons. What's the general reason among Republicans for wanting to amend Section 230? I mean, Donald Trump famously wanted to throw the law out altogether, didn't he? 
Yeah. So, and I'm speaking on my own behalf, not on behalf of the U.S. government. I'll say that the the political parties have very different reasons. So the Republican general line is that the platforms uh, are too biased in their moderation, that they tend to overblock conservative content and they don't block uh, liberal content nearly as much. So they want to somehow use Section 230 as a lever to force the platforms to be more neutral and be more hands-off, at least on the content that they're creating. And the Democrats and the liberals tend to have the exact opposite concern. They believe the platforms are not moderating nearly enough. And they say, you know, there's a lot of really bad stuff on the internet and we want to somehow use section 230 to uh, provide an incentive for the platforms to block more of this content, misinformation, hate speech, those sorts of things. Uh, but the real challenge here is that so much of that, things like hate speech and a great deal of misinformation are protected under the U.S. Constitution by the First Amendment. So with or without Section 230, the government can't suddenly start banning hate speech and misinformation. Um, the Supreme Court bench as we know, is skewed conservative at the moment. Could that have an influence on which course of action they decide on, in your view? This might be one of the rare times when I don't think the partisan divide of the Supreme Court will have much of an impact because the justices, even within the partisan divide, the justices tend to have very different philosophies on the internet. And uh, we we don't necessarily know because uh, other, other than what they said in oral arguments, most of the justices have never written or talked about Section 230 before. But you have some justices like uh, Justice Kagan, who's a liberal, and Justice Kavanaugh, who's really a traditional conservative, who um, expressed some, some reluctance for the Supreme Court to get too involved in internet policy. Uh, Justice Kagan suggested this might be something Congress is better suited for. But uh, Justice Jackson, on the other hand, who's also a liberal, um, she seemed fairly e eager to get more involved in narrowing Section 230. And she had some concerns about how broadly it's been applied. So uh, I always hesitate to predict how the justices will rule because I'm usually always wrong. But um, <laughs> I, I think that... Um, there's a very good chance that you're not going to see the traditional split that we've seen on so many other hot-button issues. I mean, there are three possible scenarios that could play out here, I I I'm advised. Either the Supreme Court declines to make any changes to Section 230 and the status quo remains, or they decide there needs to be an amendment, or they decide to support the plaintiff claim and section off algorithmic recommendations from Section 230. Maybe you could talk us through what would happen in each of these scenarios. Because it is really, a, a, you know, what an extraordinary brew awaits us. Yeah, so Ju Justice Amy Coney Barrett, she suggested that if in that second case, the Twitter case I talked about, if the court decides, you know, there's just not a claim against social media platforms under the Anti-Terrorism Act, then there's a chance that the Supreme Court could say, well, because of that, we don't even have to address Section 230. Uh, so the, that would probably be the best case scenario for the tech companies. 
Um, the Supreme Court wouldn't be able to amend Section 230. That's really a job for Congress. Uh, so so there, the most the Supreme Court can do is decide how to interpret Section 230. And I think you're right. I think that uh, one possible way that they could interpret it is to say that algorithmic recommendations or targeted algorithms are not covered by Section 230. Um, the problem, and I think a lot of the justices struggled in more than two and a half hours of oral argument on Tuesday, is figuring out where do you draw the line? Because they also recognize that there's a lot of recommendations and targeting that might be necessary. Um, you think about a service like TikTok, uh, TikTok would not work without targeting mm -hmm. uh, because you wouldn't just sign on to the service and see one of any randomly chosen video that's out there. They, they know the types of videos that you're interested in. And I think there's a recognition that the general public also doesn't want to go back to the day of reverse chronological feeds on social media that we've gotten used to that. So, but but at the same time, the justices recognize that if a platform is specifically targeting harmful content at someone with a particular predilection, that's a problem also. Gosh, so how do I you define that though? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and how do you define it? Section 230 has been on the books for more than 27 years. So, and this is the first case that's ever been heard. So, how would you define it in an enduring way that would be useful 27 years from now when the technology will be completely different? And that's the real challenge that they're facing. Your view, if you wouldn't mind, as a wrap up uh, on this, I mean, I, I think I know where you're going to come down, but are you in favour of one course or other? Um, and because there's a precedent, a very important precedent going to be set here, isn't it? I presume, you know, implications for Australia and, and other nations as well. Hey, absolutely. And I, I think I tend to come down where Justice Kagan does, which is that this is a really important issue, but ultimately it's an issue that our elected officials have to deal with in Congress and they have to make a really tough policy choice. And this is something that I think is beyond the scope of the court's duties. So I, I, I think that that would be my preference is for Congress to have a really thoughtful debate on this. Uh, easier said than done. But um, I, 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 I think that would be the best course of action. Well, thank you very much indeed for bringing us up to date on that. I'm sure we'll all take much more notice uh, uh, as, we, as we hear these, these discussions. Uh, Jeff Kossoff, thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Jeff Kossoff, an Associate Professor of Cybersecurity Law and author of The 26 Words That Created the Internet. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.